Welcome back to Not Made of Money. So we are on our 10th episode of this season, and we have some big news at the end of this episode about this season. But this is the first time I'm catching up with Genevieve in a little bit. Week. <laughs> in a week, yeah. But no, this week, no, we talked a lot. But so I feel like that. So tell everybody the cool thing you got done today. Oh, yeah. So today was so busy. Um, but one of the things that made it so busy and so fun was I got a new tattoo. Of the two of us, I am the only one who has a tattoo. You don't have a tattoo, right? No. No. Okay. I don't feel it. But I was like, I don't know. Maybe. My sister keeps wanting us to get like a family tattoo, but I just don't. I just don't get it. I don't know what I want my body permanently. I'm not. I, I think tattoos, if they're tasteful, are okay and they have meaning. Like I don't get just butterflies or like a flower. Um, I so, mean, and flower has meaning, fine, but it just I don't know. I'm not saying you have that. You have your dog on your arm. I mean, there's a meaning there. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would put a dog on my arm, but <laughs> see, opposite the track. Exactly. This I was gonna say. This is another one where where we're like we are so different, but uh, I kind of had a panic attack a little bit when Genevieve told me she had another tattoo. I'm like, where? How much? How big? I'm like, kind of like her mother in this. Like, I'm watching you. (laughs) You can get this one, but. Well, because I got another one exactly a month ago. Yeah, that's also the thing. I'm like, wait, how many tattoos? And you said it's two this year. And I felt like the it was first five. Thing he texted was, you're accelerating. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm like your mother on this. But, um, but I don't, I have not disliked your other tattoos. So I don't want to. No. But I think you're getting more adventurous. I am. It's also because your life's been more adventurous. So I feel like you are just a wild child now. But. That's for another time. I'm in my mid 30s and I'm like going through my, you know, adolescence of like changing my hair and piercing my ears with a second hole and getting tattoos. And- oh, yeah, you did get piercings too. Like, who are you? Are you 18 again? Um, I will say this though, I kind of had a different crisis because next year I'm going to be at a big milestone birthday. And I text a few people like, get ready to party. <laughs> because I will have an existential, existential crisis. Because I'll be closer to 40 than 30. And I just cannot have that in my life. Um, and I'm probably going to be crazy. I had that problem when I turned 30. It was like a big deal. I felt I felt old. Oh, see, girl, I was the opposite. As soon as I turned 30, I was like, thank God my 20s are behind me. Because they were not that fun. 30- well, funny, funny thing. I saw my cousin this weekend, uh, today. <laughs> and she, someone she bumped into in a dorm. She's, she's in college. And... Uh, they were having a conversation about this yoga teacher. And she's like, oh, does this yoga teacher have the hots for you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Put it in context. And he's like, no, she's she's older. And I'm thinking like, okay, he's going to say like 45 to 55. And then he goes, she's probably like late 20s, early 30s. And I'm like, kill me. The way he said she's older, God forbid. Like this, <laughs> I was just like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, um, I'm the she's older. No, that wasn't me, the yoga teacher, but I'm that. I'm in that range. He had no idea that 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 I was. It's so crazy. I know, right? But well, anyway, yeah. back on point. So for today's episode, we're going to kind of switch it up, but kind of not. We're still going to be covering career and personal finance questions, but we are going to do it rapid rapid fire style. So I'm going to ask Jen the questions. She doesn't know what I'm asking. And she's going to give me like a brief one, two minute answer, quick, short, 
and uh, right to the point. And then she's going to do that for me. So hope you like this style. Let us know what you think. So for the first rapid fire career question, Jen, what if your HR team is very unresponsive or just not very good? Who can you talk to? So answering this um, from the perspective of the employee. So you're an employee and you just cannot get a hold of HR. So I think there's a couple things you can do. Um, first off, honestly, and I highly recommend this to everyone, and this is like, sounds self-serving, but it's not. See, look at your HR systems really quickly. You know, go to your um, HRIS. So that could be ADP. It could be Trinet. It could be Paylocity or Workday. Go into the system where you get your pay stubs, where you get your HR information and look in there first, because sometimes a lot of HR departments, they're understaffed or maybe not super motivated. It really depends. Um, if you can find the information yourself, it's probably the fastest way to do it. You can poke around. What are the company holidays? Um, how do I log PTO? Where's my pay stubs? What is my W-4 tax withholdings? You can find all that on your own. If you can't find it there on your own, I always recommend everyone gets inundated with email. So start off with an email to them. But if you have a system like Microsoft Teams or Slack or something like that, reach out to them that way because sometimes you can kind of cut through the noise of the millions of emails we get every day. My last tip would be you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. So, you know, be kind. Hey, you know, hope you're doing well or hey, hope you're getting ready for a nice Thanksgiving. Um, I have a quick question about this benefit. Please tell us what it's about so we can research it a little bit before we get back to you. Otherwise, if you just basically say like, hey, I don't know what to, I don't know how to prepare for that question. And then if you're able to reach out to them and you reach out kindly and say like, hey, I tried to look for this, I didn't find it. That goes a really long way with your HR people. Hopefully that will help. If not, reach out to someone more senior on the HR team to uh, get the, the HR reps moving so they help you out. Okay, so first rapid fire question for Danielle. Um, for those of us who are looking at the news or LinkedIn at all, uh, we're seeing that there's a ton of layoffs happening, especially in the tech industry. So if you're someone who is affected by a layoff, what's the first thing you should do financially? What's the first step that you would recommend this person do when they get the news? So the first step hopefully came before the layoff. And I know that might sound uh, like I'm cheating your answer, Jen. But the idea is that if you've been saving 20% of your income, you should have been saving for a three-month emergency fund or longer. So if you have that saved, if you get laid off, you know, and that's not ideal, you'll have to cut into your savings, but you actually already have that money designated. So you will not have to scrape by. You will not have to sell investments. You will not have to immediately take a DoorDash job if you are in tech and you want to do something back in tech. So you will be actually in a better position if you think ahead and have an emergency fund. So that is... I think the best answer here, but if you are not in that position, I would say the next best thing, and you really actually don't have the money, would be to go out and get one of those types of jobs really quickly that you could work part-time um, in order to pay your bills before you search for the next job. Because going into debt, um, especially with these high interest rates now, is not ideal. So that's my secondary answer, but save ahead first with an emergency fund will make you be in this fine position where you're not actually, you know, worried as you're searching for your next job. 
So Jen, I am going to ask the next career question as a follow-up to your career question, uh, to your personal finance question. Uh, if you get laid off, what are the first things that you should do from a career perspective? So I'm going to say one thing to focus on from like an HR perspective, like benefits perspective. And then the other one for like, how are we going to get that next job? First thing from an HR perspective is look at any final paperwork you were given. It'll give you details about COBRA, which is how you'll be able to continue your medical benefits if you need it. Let's say you have a chronic condition and you need medication or you have a surgery coming up or whatever it is. Check that first. If you have questions, reach out to HR ASAP so that you still have contact with them. You get all the information you need. Next thing on the HR front would be apply for unemployment ASAP. It often can take several weeks to get the payments to start. So the sooner you apply, literally you can apply the day that you're terminated and the day that you're laid off, the sooner you can get that supplementary income coming in. And like Danielle said, make it so that you don't have to dig into much more than your, you know, your emergency fund. Now on the career side, the very first thing I would recommend doing before you update your resume, before you do anything else is reach out to your network. It's been proven through research, specifically through LinkedIn, that you get your best referrals and the referrals that actually lead to job offers typically come from your weak ties, which is not your best friend who you had at work, but it's someone that you worked with who knows someone at another company. There's no shame in going on LinkedIn and posting and saying, hey, I was affected by this layoff. I'm looking for these types of jobs. If you know anything, let me know. Tell your family, tell your friends, like let everyone know because that's the quickest way to start opening up your job opportunities so that you can get the next job. You're also going to be working on applying, but engage your network. All right. Next question for Danielle. It is year end and it means if you're lucky that it is also year end bonus time. What is the one smartest thing that we can do when we get that year-end bonus other than, you know, blowing it on a Tesla or God, my bonus would not. My that bonus, would be a great bonus. Yeah, I was going to say my bonus would literally be a drop toward a Tesla. I would a get tire. floor mats for a Tesla, <laughs> like floor mats for a Tesla. What's the smartest thing we can do with that bonus? So um, if you've been, you know, having a great budget for the entire entire year, you should be focusing on, you know, your monthly income that you take home. You actually should not be accounting for your bonus because bonuses are variable. If your company is doing poorly, you might not get one. So it's not wise to count on that. And if you do that, that means that when that bonus comes, it's actually very much like a gift. And so what I like to do is a bonus. <laughs> yeah, it's a bonus, right? It's you, you know, I I think that if you do want to spend all that money, you absolutely can because you've already saved the required 20%. Um, what I personally would do is save the save twenty percent of my bonus because that just helps accelerate your savings. If you're investing that money, which you absolutely need to be if you want to retire, that's going to accelerate you towards retirement. So you should at least save twenty percent. I mean, if you don't need that money at all, of course, save a hundred percent. That's awesome. But I also think you should not feel guilty um, about spending your bonus. It is meant to be a bonus, a pat on the back. If the company's having a great year or awarding your productivity, absolutely go ahead and spend it. Especially some of those bigger projects that you might need to fix around the house. Maybe you need a new down payment for a car. These things can really help you for that. And so 
absolutely enjoy it. But my personal advice would be still save 20% of that. It just helps get you there a little bit faster for retirement. But you, by all means, do not need to save 20% if you've been doing it right all year. So Jen, it's funny you ask about bonuses because I actually have a bonus question for you on the career front. So let's say your employer announces that you are getting a bonus. Is there a legal time period that they have to pay you after informing you verbally about your bonus? Because usually those bonus conversations happen, you know, verbally between um, your boss and you. God, that's a great question. Um, That's something where, is there like a legal amount of time they have to pay you? It depends. Um, I think most of the time, my default answer to that would be no, there isn't. Now, if it's something where you're leaving the company or you're terminated, that's where there are laws around like final pay requirements and timing with stuff like that. And as with many things in the United States, every state has different laws. So you're going to have to refer to what your specific state laws are. The way that it happens with bonuses, though, and I I will refer to, you know, this is primarily with mid-sized to larger companies, is they have their one time a year when they do their year-end bonus. Now, year-end bonus doesn't always mean that you get it like December 31st paycheck. Many times that actually means that you get it in January because they're waiting for the full year, results to be calculated, calculate the bonuses for everybody. And that can take a little bit of time. So it may take an additional like paycheck or two. There's also some people, I know some of the bigger consulting companies, they don't pay their year-end bonuses until April. So it really depends. I think the biggest thing is if they tell you we're paying your bonus in the whatever paycheck and it's not there, well, then you're well within your means to bug your payroll department and bug your manager to say, hey, I didn't see my money. Can you tell me when that's going to be hitting my account? (laughs) Okay. Next question for Danielle. If there was one thing I could do to improve my finances today, Now, we're going to take away the basics of, I already have a savings account set up. I have a brokerage account. Like I'm not, I'm not a 101, you know, like personal finance 101 person. I'm a 201 or a 301. That's how they number courses, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Like pretending like I'm in academia. I'm one of those people. What's the the one thing I could do today to, to level that up? So I would say if you already have a brokerage account and you have like a 401k through your employer or 403b or any of those accounts, if you are in the position to save more, um, you sometimes can't in those accounts if you're already at the maximum, I would say save more through an IRA. Those are tax advantage accounts and they can absolutely help you save tax dollars. Um, And you can eventually roll them over and pay taxes along the way. And there's not as many restriction, restrictions with an IRA as a 401k. It allows a little bit more flexibility. And that's just another saving vehicle. I can tell you that when I first started saving um, with my first job, I, I had a 401k. And I had a brokerage. So kind of exactly how you set up this question. And then now um, leveling up, right? I have an IRA. And you can max that out at about $6,000 for this next upcoming year. So it's not as much as a 401k, which is over $20,000 that you could put in if you are allowed to have one. So it's not as much, but again, an extra $6,000 a year can go a long way, or even an extra $1,000 a year can go a long way. So simple answer is save more and put it to work. And, and the best way to do that is through another tax advantage account. 
My final career question for you, Genevieve, is what is your most hated part of HR and what is your favorite part of HR? So I know this is not necessarily applicable to everybody out there, but it's just sometimes fun to hear you tell us what what you like and don't like. Yeah, hearing a little bit behind the curtain. So, you know what? Don't hold back. Don't hold back. I will start with my hardest part um, and then I'll I'll end with easier one. Honestly, the hardest part for me, (laughs) so there's like the emotionally hard part and then there's like the technically hard part. Um, Technically hard part, I am awful at Excel, like really bad. I, I, my knowledge basically ended at like conditional formatting. Didn't you have Pinionist class with me? So I did, but I remembered just enough to like have it run out of my brain, like so bad. (laughs) I just learned how to do pivot tables. It's really bad. So. That would be the first thing is there's actually a lot of, believe it or not, data and analytics in HR now. And um, it's really nice to, it's actually my goal for 2023 is to get better Excel so that I don't spend three days manually sorting (laughs) uh, an Excel document. Yeah, it's, you should have seen Danielle's face. Um, I shocked her eyes are still in her head. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm really bad. I like purely brute force now. I can give you like, we should just have a session. I can give you a lot. I'm not like, Saying I'm by any means this expert, but I'm pretty good at it. Better, better than I am, for sure. Um, and the other part, like on the emotional side, is terminations are always hard. You know, even if it's a situation where it's not a good job fit for the person, they're not happy, it's not productive for the company. Like even when it's a parting that is very mutual and it's it's beneficial for both parties, it's just always hard. You know, I don't know. I will not speak for other HR people, but it's still emotionally hard for me. Like I always make a point to like take a little bit of time. I'm a little softer with myself and I don't do anything like I don't make big plans for the night after a termination because I need to kind of just like sit in my feelings a little bit. The things that I enjoy the most in HR is you get to celebrate so many big things with people. You get to celebrate everything from, oh my God, you earned this promotion or you hit your quota, you exceeded your quota or we just had a baby or I just got married. Like these are so many things that because HR is integrated into so many like your benefits, your benefits will change or I help make sure you get paid for that, you know, bonus or those commissions. Like it's really cool to have people join the company and then watch them grow and watch them experience all these major life events. And you can really become close with these people because you work so intimately with them. So I, yeah, I would hate to be the HR person who's like, the people are the best part, but like the people are the best part. It's it's in another like synonym for HR, like people managers or something as they did. Well, I'm technically a people and culture manager. Oh, oh, head (laughs) culture. Oh, wow. I also Um, do culture stuff. You know, we have a, a uh, virtual coffee tasting event that we're doing soon. Did you plan those? Yes, I planned it. Of course I planned it. Um, (laughs) But you are the culture manager. So that's funny. Exactly. But uh, yeah, those are the the two things. Like HR can be so hard, like every job. It can be so hard, but there's some things that are really rewarding and the rewarding stuff is like... All right. Our last question for Danielle on our personal finance side. Um, And I think this is going to be super applicable to a bunch of people listening. Um, At what point should you level up and get a financial advisor? You know, you don't have to be the expert anymore. When do you bring in an expert? I think that's a great question. I wouldn't necessarily call it leveling up. I think it is leveling up for certain people. 
But for people that have it, if they understand, I think if you understand uh, personal finance, you understand investing and you actually enjoy it. I think the enjoy part's important that you're not, you're not anxious about it. You're not worried about it. You don't make silly mistakes like investing in crypto with 100% of your money when you don't understand it. Um, that you don't necessarily need one. But if you if you have those things and you are anxious, then I think you know getting a financial advisor that does come with a fee, but it's a fee well paid if that takes out your anxiety. It makes you more sure about the amount of money you need for retirement. It makes you more sure about you know the amount of savings that you actually need, uh, what you should be investing in. I think you know I think a financial advisor is great for people and. I don't want to underplay that at all. For me, I love managing my own investments. This is really fun to me. I mean, I guess fun fact, I'm studying kind of for my financial advisor um, certification. I've been playing with that for quite some time. Uh, I have the credentials to do it. You just have to sit for a very, very long exam. And I guess I'm a sucker for just more credentials, I guess, Jen. But um, So I feel really confident in what I I do and what I say. but I like doing it. And so that's why it's not a chore. Whereas other tasks, you know, I definitely pay out for those tasks that I don't like doing. And I think that's the same case here. If you don't like managing your money, if you don't like investing, if it scares the heck out of you and you're not doing anything, you're never going to do anything, then pay someone to force you to do those things. And that's money well spent. So I think a lot of people can benefit from a financial advisor. You can do your due diligence. You can... um you should go with someone that's fee based, so they uh, make a set fee, and it's not based on your performance. So they're not trying to take on riskier assets that perform possibly better, but also lose money. You know, fee based advisors tend to be the best way to go in terms of just managing your risk. A fiduciary is also important, so that's a legal term in terms of that this person um, has to act in your your best self interest and not necessarily their best self interest. And um, and some of the credentials in that you know matter because that tells you whether they're a fiduciary or not. Those are kind of two things that I would look for if you are considering a financial advisor. Um, and if you're listening and you're just like not sure if you should do it, send me a DM. I'm happy to kind of answer that one on one. If you you know talk you through whether I think hey it might be a good idea to go look into one or or not, I'm happy to talk about that. All right. So those were our rapid fire questions for this episode. Uh, We do also, like we said in the intro, we have a bit of a personal update for you guys. We are actually going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus. This will be the end of season two for us. Both Danielle and I have some big, exciting things happening in our personal lives. Lucy, too. She is just telling us everything. And, you know, we really want to make sure that we are able to dedicate the time and attention to the podcast to give you really good content. So we're going to be taking a little bit of a break over the holidays. We'll let you guys know. Stay tuned to our Instagram channels. You'll hear when we come back. But as our last rapid fire question, I'm going to throw it to you, Danielle. Um, What are you going to miss most about recording the podcast? I think I'm most going to miss talking to you and seeing your face on like these weekly or biweekly things and having things, recordings, (laughs) and just having to sometimes redo things because we just get crazy and off topic. 
uh, or also just the whole process has just been very creative and very outside my comfort zone. So mm-hmm. I will miss that. But as you said, the holiday season is crazy. We both could use the break. And I think um, what we decide to do next will be um, with like a clear and great mind. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. What about you? Yeah, so I, I hate to be a total sucker, but I have a very similar feeling. I This has been actually a really cool thing about our friendship. Our friendship has grown even more because we have these weekly or twice weekly meetings where we see each other's faces. We're preparing, we're constantly talking about, you know, when are you able to record or what are the questions you're thinking or doing all, of, you know, kind of this planning. And it's been really cool um, being that we are long distance friends. You know, I'm in Dallas, you're in New Jersey. Uh, we are able to, you know, this gave us a quote unquote reason to make sure that we're always connecting and that we were seeing each other face to face. It was another way to connect. And I think that brought like a different layer. And we got to talk a lot more about career and personal finance, which we do naturally. That's how this whole thing came about. We ask each other these questions, um, but we got to like deliberately do it all the time. So that's been a real treat. And having appointments, you know, like there's, there's something to be said about having an appointment and being like, every Wednesday, I'm going to talk to Danielle. And it's just, it's cool. It's nice and predictable. And so thanks guys for tuning in to this episode. We hope you have a great holiday season and we'll see you on the flip side. We'll see you on the flip side. Bye.